Hello, welcome to the show. Now, this is episode number 59 of the Good Future podcast. And while that number isn't particularly significant, the guest I have on today certainly is. Today, I'm speaking with Sir Ronald Cohen. He asked me to call him Ronnie, which I'm getting comfortable with. It feels good to be on a first name basis. Now, let me dive into Ronnie's bio and be warned, it is impressive. Ronnie has been a venture capitalist, private equity investor, and leader of the global impact investing revolution. He was co-founder and executive chairman of Apex Partners, and today he's the chairman of the Global Steering Group on Impact Investing, which followed the G8 Social Impact Investment Task Force. He's chairman and co-founder of the Portland Trust, co-founder of Social Finance UK, US, and Israel, and co-founder of Bridges Fund Management. Plus, he's written a book. It's called Impact, Reshaping Capitalism to Drive Real Change. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the future of sustainable business, the new economy, and how your spending and investing decisions can have an impact. I've looked forward to this conversation for a long time, pretty much since I started this show, in fact. But right now is a perfect moment to speak with Ronnie, partly because he's published a book all about impact, but also because of the revolutionary work he's done in contributing to the concept of impact-weighted accounts. It's all about taking transparency to a new level and it has the potential to change the very foundations of accounting that we've depended on for decades. But we didn't just talk about impact measurement. I wanted to know about the pivotal moment of Ronnie's life when he left Egypt as a boy to travel to England and how that shaped his mindset, as well as his time at Oxford, Harvard and the many stages of his career in finance. I got so much out of this one and I hope you do too. And now for all the show notes and links, jump onto my website at johntreadgold.com and you can leave us a review on iTunes because that helps to spread the message of the show. And someone else who's helping spread the message is RIA. That's the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia. They have over 300 members managing more than $9 trillion in assets globally. And they're the largest network of people and organizations engaged in responsible, ethical and impact investing across Australia and New Zealand. They do great work and they've come on board to help support a series of upcoming episodes featuring their leading names in responsible investing. Head to responsibleinvestment.org to find out more. All right, on with the show. Let's get into it. Here's my chat with Sir Ronald Cohen. Here we go. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today. Great pleasure, John. Good to be here with you. You've written a book called Impact and you've pioneered the field of impact investing. In the UK, you've, you've been a major advocate spreading it throughout the world. But this word impact, what does it, what does it mean to you today? And, and has that changed over, over the, the past years, the past decade or so? The answer is that it has changed uh, over the past decade. And I'll be happy to explain how. Um, what does it mean? Impact means improving lives and the planet. Impact investing uh, started off, I I would say, in 2010 with the arrival of of the first social impact bond, which uh, had a return that was based on uh, social improvement and in retrospect optimized uh, risk return and impact. 
Um, so over the last 10 years, we set off on the path of impact investment. We always saw it as an investment theme, but we thought it would be useful to treat it as an asset class at the beginning because big institutional investors make allocations according to asset classes. And you could have argued, and I think you can still argue, that uh, some aspects of impact investment, certainly social impact bonds and development impact bonds, are truly a new asset class. They're uncorrelated with uh, traditional uh, equity markets or bond markets. But what we realized with the publication of the G8 task force report in 2014, and I'm very pleased to say that Australia was a very active observer of that uh, task force uh, and contributed uh, greatly to its uh, work, we realized that the world was changing and that impact investment was really the path to impact economies, which also optimize risk-return impact. And so for me, impact today is bringing alongside profit at the center of our economic system, people and planet. And the fact that technology and big data can enable us to provide transparency on impact that is similar to the transparency we have on profit turns impact today into a new dimension of our economic system that can quite literally reshape capitalism. There are so many topics there and many of them I really want to dig into today. But I think it is interesting to talk about this view of impact being an asset class and whether or not it really is or whether it should be um, a lens we look at the world through. You know, we spend a lot of time, there are some very sort of dry definitions of impact investing. But in your book, the thing that I took away from it was your view of, of impact far more broadly. You defined impact philanthropy, in fact, companies. Uh, and it really felt like a departure from this dry sort of specific that, you know, thing over there is an impact investment. Um, is that part of the evolution? That is part of the evolution. Uh, I think when, when you begin to focus on the impact you have on people and planets, you begin to focus on outcomes rather than on activities. And within philanthropy, uh, that means using different tools to achieve the maximum outcomes uh, from your philanthropic uh, pool. Um, so you begin to see uh, endowments like uh, the Ford Foundation uh, allocate a billion dollars um, to impact investment. The idea there is that uh, you no longer view your charitable pool as only the return or part of the return that you make on your uh, investment on the corpus of, uh, of your endowment. And you begin to shift to using the whole of the corpus to achieve the mission uh, of your foundation. So it makes no sense if you're interested in sustainability to be investing with your endowment in uh, uh, fossil fuel companies and then giving grants to advocacy groups that are trying to fight pollution. And so that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it for impact um, philanthropy is shifting some of the grant program to paying for outcomes. 
um, so that investors are taking the risk of funding um, non-profit uh, delivery organizations uh, and philanthropists and governments are only paying when these outcomes have been achieved. I also talk in terms uh, of impact entrepreneurship um, and there it means bringing people and planet to uh, the core of your business model as an entrepreneur, creating new ventures that seek to bring solutions to uh, specific important uh, problems that um, society or the environment um, face. Um, and so you can see that impact investment then begins to get a different connotation. Impact investment then becomes investment where you measure both the financial return and the impact uh, that, um, that you create through your investment. But that changes uh, the nature of companies that you invest in. Because if you expect them to deliver impact as well as profit, then you expect them to begin to measure it. And when they begin to measure it, they begin to manage themselves differently to create both profit and impact. For many people in financial services and the world more broadly, this is, this is quite a radical shift. And obviously for you, it's been a long journey and you've been, you've been a really key part of, of driving the thought and the evolution of it. But then I'd like to wind backwards a little bit and, and understand, was there sort of a light bulb moment for you in your career? You've, you know, you worked in private equity, you went to Oxford and Harvard. Was there a moment when you sort of realized perhaps capitalism is broken and, and that I have the power to fix it from the inside? Was there a moment like that or was it more progressive? There was a moment like that. And um, I suppose it came after APAX had been successful and I became very much aware uh, that uh, my original intention uh, to help society by creating jobs, which venture capital and private equity have done, uh, and improve the competitiveness of our economies and so on and, uh, and so forth, had led to greater gaps in uh, society uh, between rich and, uh, and poor. And uh, that those who were born into the wrong uh, family in the sense that uh, they were low-income families, uh, the parents may have had uh, psychological or, uh, or drug um, uh, issues, uh, you tended to be stuck there. And, and so when I was um, 53 in um, 1998, I said to my partners, I'm going to leave APAX when I get to the age of, uh, of, of 60 in 2005. We'll organize a constitution for the firm, we'll maintain its nature as a partnership. I'll hand over my stake to you over a period of time. Other partners who leave will follow the same rule. And I'm going to go and deal with social issues and with the conflict in the Middle East between Israelis and, and Palestinians. As you know, John, I came from Egypt as a refugee to Britain at the age of 11. Part of my family went to Australia. Um, one of my brothers went to Adelaide. Um, we were all penniless, but were made very welcome in, 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 in Britain and, and in Australia, uh, respectively. Um, and so I also had this feeling that um, 
my life should be about more than just making money. As I wrote in the book, I didn't think my epitaph should read, he deliver an IRR, an internal rate of return of 30, of 30%. So in 1998, I already felt uh, that something was wrong with society and that I wanted to have a go at finding ways of, of helping with it. And then in 2000, you know, life is full of these, of these moments. Um, I got a call out of the blue from the British Treasury asking me to look at the issue of poverty. And so then I was still leading Apex, but I found the time to start delving into how we deal uh, with the social issues. And that put me on the road to impact investment. And, and that's such an interesting story. I'm sure we could talk for hours about from when you were young and, and that voyage from Egypt to Britain and, and other members of your family to Australia. Um, but I mean, did that experience as a whole, you know, your family must have been a very strong bond. Do you think that helped you make that shift later in life, having had that experience? I'm sure it, it influenced me. Um, my parents viewed it very much as a positive challenge. Um, it was the beginning of a better life um, uh, for our family. Um, that's how it was framed uh, for me. Um, as I mentioned in, in, in the book, uh, my dad took me to meet the headmaster of a state school where I needed to get admission. Um, and uh, I didn't speak English uh, very well uh, at that stage. I'd just begun to learn it. And my dad said to the headmaster, trying to persuade me, him to take me, and look, if you take him, he'll be top of the class. Now, for, for, for a person who's a refugee, whose parents are obviously meeting serious challenges, you feel you can't let the side down. And so <laughs> I said about becoming top of the class. Uh, at the same time, because I was in Britain and because my education was paid for and because I went to Oxford um, at the expense of the state and, uh, and then got a scholarship um, to go to Harvard, uh, it uh, reinforced our family's values, which were that if you do well, then you have to do good as well. And every time something good happens to you, uh, you have to share it with others. So I'd say it's a, it's a deep value of mine uh, and of all my family that we have to we have to give we have to give back. Yeah, look, it's a really powerful story. Thanks for that. I mean, there was a section of the book, and it was one of my favourites when you you were studying at Oxford and you got a scholarship to Harvard, but your colleagues said that you had to bring something back to England, and your answer was that you brought back venture capital a broad offering. But I mean, what was it like back then, coming back to England, introducing a radical new concept like venture capital? I mean, the interesting thing, John, about this sense of obligation is that uh, I, it was reinforced by Henry Fellowship, which I got. That's the name of the scholarship I got. Lord Henry was a South African who, at the beginning of the century, created an endowment to fund students to go from Oxford and Cambridge to Harvard and, and, and Yale to, sub, to study the subject of their choice. Um, and the obligation that went 
uh, with accepting uh, the scholarship was the one you described. And you had to write a paper, which I have since mislaid, I'm, I'm sorry to say, about what you were bringing back to Britain. And as you say, uh, I brought back uh, these notions of uh, the nascent uh, venture capital industry uh, in, in the United States and was privileged to be able to help get it uh, uh, to take root in Europe. You know, in watching these shifts and, and you obviously were able to introduce a new concept and help people understand it and think it through. And one of the, the final quotes in your book is that impact investment heralds the impact revolution, which has the promise to be as innovative and disruptive as the tech revolution that preceded it. Do you feel like that's uh, sort of your mission of the moment? Yes, it is. Um, very much so. I've devoted uh, the majority of, uh, of my time uh, since I left um, APAX uh, 15 years ago to the impact movement um, and uh, the balance of it to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I've kept my hand in at, um, at, at investing, um, uh, of course, but this is really my uh, life's uh, mission uh, now. And the reason is that I think our efforts to tinker within the system in order to reduce inequality uh, are just uh, fated to fail. Uh, they're fated to fail because the system, the economic system, is creating these inequalities and the environmental destruction we witness. It's not our political system. However much politicians would like to redistribute wealth and income, they can never do away with these inequalities because these inequalities and this environmental destruction is inherent to a system where you seek profit alone. So if you're running a company with the aim of just delivering profit, you're not going to worry about diversity and you're not going to worry about environmental destruction. We just published, we being the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative at Harvard Business School, uh, which is, seeks to uh, provide the methodology and the framework and examples um, of how companies can reflect through their normal financial accounts the environmental and the impact on people uh, that uh, they have. And if you look at uh, our system from 30,000 feet, we have a system where companies create massive social and environmental costs and governments tax us all in an effort to remedy them. Now, the problem is that companies need to generate profit and impact, but you can't really get them to generate it just by talking about it. You need to measure the impact. And if you can measure the impact like the profit, then you can see the huge capital flows in the world today, the ESG uh, flows, environmental, social, and governance um, uh, investment, and the impact investment flows, which, by the way, are going to hit a trillion uh, this year. Um, you can see that 
more than $30 trillion, a third of professionally managed assets in the world, is going to achieve more than profit. Impact. Impact on people and impact on planet. And yet, we have zero transparency on it. And so, we're in the age of big data and technology, and we have the ability now to measure impact. So when you begin to measure impact and profit, impact becomes like technology was, the water on which every ship must sail. Because all the money, all the investment by that I, I, I mean, all the consumer spending and all the talent is going to favor companies that deliver both impact and profit. And the companies that are polluting are going to be overtaken by new companies, and Tesla is an example of it, that come with this notion of impact and profit and disrupt their business models. So I do see the impact revolution as a parallel to the tech revolution. It also is going to be driven by the same band of young people who understand it are not bound by the status quo to continue slavishly the ways that they had in, you know, inherited uh, and are prepared to shake things up. And, and measurement is obviously a huge key. We have the technical skill set. You know, we've, we've learned to measure risk. Um, it, you know, it was not perfect, but we still use it. There has been resistance to measuring impact. And, and a lot of that was from those that don't want to be transparent. You know, they've got things to hide. They don't want these negative externalities for the costs to be added to their, their cost of doing business. So if we are developing the ability to measure impact, do we also need to regulate it? Do we also need to enforce it? So it's a very good question, John. And I believe we're at a historic crossroads similar to 1929. Because many people don't realize that in 1929, we had no transparency, we being investors, um, had no transparency over the profit companies made. <laughs> that sounds extraordinary, but what do I mean? Every company could pick its own accounting principles. There were no auditors to check the veracity of the numbers. And companies could squirrel away part of their profit into hidden reserves without telling shareholders. So what kind of transparency and comparability could you have? Now, after the great crash, which shook everybody's um, habits and, 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 and beliefs, investors stood up and started screaming that they needed transparency on profit. And of course, as you were just saying, there were loud recriminations in Congress uh, that uh, this was going to spell the end of American capitalism. While we all know that this uh, transparency and the confidence in our accounting is its the reason that we've been able to develop the huge financial markets we have. I believe we're at a similar crossroad with regard to transparency. We have more than a third of professionally managed money, more than $30 trillion dollars, seeking to achieve impact with no transparency about it. And technology enables us now 
to provide that transparency, to measure the impact that companies have through their product, through their employment, and through their operations, to value it, to monetize it, and to add it or, dis or, or deduct it from their profit. Now, if I said to you that out of the 1,800 companies which uh, uh, have their information, publicly available information that, uh, you know, that they have provided uh, in sufficient detail uh, that we could make valid comparisons. So more than 80% of the uh, information used to prepare uh, this uh, comparable data set was publicly available. We had to impute 20% of it. If I said to you that you find companies in the same industry with negative environmental impact, in the case of a South African chemical company called Sasol, which has 12 billion of sales, the annual environmental uh, cost it creates is 17 billion, 140% of its sales. And at the other end, you have BASF, which has more than 70 billion of sales and is delivering 7 billion of costs, 10% of sales. You have these huge variations. Now, if I give you numbers like that, your immediate reaction is, why didn't I know about this? If I want to invest in the chemical industry, I'm not going to invest in Sasol. You'd have to be crazy to invest in, 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 in Sasol. Uh, when you can get a similar return from investing in BASF. And that's why I say that if we bring transparency, we will change the nature of our economic system. The money will flow to the BASFs of this world. The talent will flow to them. They will make an effort to improve their impact-weighted profit by improving their impact as well as their profit. And so the rules of the game... Uh, a, a really set. Yeah, look, it's powerful. And, and I think, I mean, I don't want to discredit it by saying it's theory, but in terms of the metrics, you know, I can imagine Sasol saying, oh, no, you're using the wrong metrics. You know, you're recording, you're measuring this one element that we're bad at, but, um, you know, the other companies are, are doing other bad things and you're not recording that. Would these metrics have to be industry specific? And sure, this will take time to develop, but how do you see those sort of specifics? First of all, I think we should do what our predecessors did in 1933. In this case, the US mandated that all companies must prepare their accounts according to generally accepted accounting principles and use auditors. We must now mandate that all companies must prepare their accounts according to generally accepted impact principles and use auditors to verify the numbers. And you have to have a system that measures the positive and the negative and nets them out so that you can make fair comparison between companies. So I would say to Sasol, if you want to argue about your carbon emissions, vis-a-vis -vis of BASF. I've done it on the basis of public information. Let's do it on the basis of audited information for both companies. And then if you want to argue about the cost per ton, 
of, of CO2 emission. I'm happy to argue about that. And uh, you can set accounting principles that take the best data and experience in the world to set that number. But it doesn't affect the comparability between the two of you. You still have, you know, 10% of sales or, you know, the proportion between the 10% of sales and the 140% will remain the same. You'll still be destroying, uh, in proportionate terms, 14 times more than your competitor. So I think, you know, these types of arguments were, were heard in, in, uh, in, in the 30s around uh, profit. I think we're going to get pushback. Uh, we're going to get uh, pushback from those who, as you were saying yourself, fear that they're going to be uh, shown in a very poor light uh, because of uh, the impact that they deliver. If I said to you that a single company can deliver $200 billion of environmental impact, um, negative environmental impact a year. That's mind-boggling. I think if these information, if this information is out and you can compare companies, then it's going to create a race to the top because that's where the money and the talent and consumers are going. Yeah, look, I think this is really powerful and this is really what I think the impact mission has always been driving towards. The best description I've always heard was that, you know, we're, we're aiming to get rid of impact investing because we want everyone to measure their impact. We want this to be the basis of investing, that companies come forward with a, a positive or, or negative sort of impact level. But of course, even at the most basic level and even in, in the world today, um, we have you know, oil companies that won't even be transparent about their climate change risks. And it, it seems like there's a huge leap now to try and get everybody to, to sort of be transparent about everything when, when even this most obvious issue is sort of stymied by both uh, corporate interests, but also sort of odd political interests as well. How do you think we can breach that divide? So I think on one side, uh, you have consumers who are deserting um, companies whose values they don't share and talent that's refusing to work for companies you know, whose values, again, they don't share, uh, and investors who are shunning uh, companies that are polluting or creating social issues, and they're doing this through ESG and impact investing. On the other side, you have companies and uh, the political force they have. And in the middle, you have governments. Now, the reason I think this is going to happen, however much companies push back, try to influence government not to make this happen, is governments need it. Governments cannot cope coming out of COVID with the greater inequality that's going to be created, with the massive threat that climate change brings, and the costs that both uh, inequality and climate change impose on, on, on nations, without bringing investors and companies to provide solutions. So this is going to happen, John, out of necessity rather than choice and COVID is going to accelerate it because if we don't approach the recovery with impact, impact policies 
impact incentives, impact investment, impact entrepreneurship, and companies delivering impact as well as profit, it's going to be a very tough job to emerge from the high levels of unemployment we're all going to suffer. And I think for, for that reason, that governments should mandate today, and I hope the Australian government can lead in doing this, that in two years, companies have to start publishing impact-weighted accounts. And if governments mandate this, and we're going to have to start with one or two or three governments doing it, because getting international agreement on anything is not the order of, 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 of our day, sadly. If governments mandate this, then companies will begin to deliver positive impact, because they know that three years from now, when they publish their impact-weighted accounts, they can look better than they look today. Look, you've got me sold. I'm really optimistic about this. And, and I sort of want to talk about what the next steps are. And this is, you know, far more than a theory. You've got some big names backing this and driving it. You've got Harvard Business School, Global Steering Group on Impact Investing, Impact Management Project, all the groups come together. Do you feel like there's sort of a coalescing, that there's a focusing on, on this being, you know, the tip of the spear? I, I don't think the detail of our conversation um, is is mainstream today. And I think that is our challenge. But I do think uh, the word impact has come to the mainstream. Everybody is using the word impact. As you correctly say, uh, they mean different things, uh, you know, by it. Uh, but by the way, you might reflect on the fact that uh, people mean different things when they talk about profit too, <laughs> you know. And if we're going to put impact alongside profit, uh, it's got to derive a similar connotation um, from its use that uh, we have around profit. In any, in, in any case, I think our big challenge today is for consumers and for, for citizens through their political uh, system uh, and for investors to push for transparency as a human right. We have the right to know. We have the right to hold companies and investors accountable for the harm they do and to reward them for the good they do. Governments have to have the ability to distinguish those who are creating harm from those who are creating good in the same way that investors want to have that ability and uh, consumers want to have that ab ability and employees, uh, of course. And if governments have that ability, it will change our whole system. You will be able, instead of taxing us all in order to deal with the consequences of uh, lack of diversity and, and, and so on, you will be able to reward those who have higher levels of diversity. Perhaps you will tax companies uh, on their profit less the positive impact they deliver, net positive impact they deliver. So you, you open a completely new window on the way of managing our economic affairs. Well, look, let's get practical. Which, which governments would, would mandate this first, do you think? 
Well, unfortunately, it's not going to be the United States unless uh, the election changes the current administration. The current administration in the United States is not interested in this type of thinking. Um, it's more likely to come from the rest of the world. It could come from Australia or Canada or uh, the Netherlands or Scandinavia or the UK or France or Italy. Those are the countries where this sort of thinking has made uh, the greatest uh, progress. And you did mention some companies that are being far more transparent than others. And there are some that are actually reporting, you know, some version of impact weighted accounts. What are some um, companies that you, you really like the look of um, and what they're doing at the moment? One company that stands out today is Danone, the French food leader. Danone just published its impact weighted earnings per share. So it's already going to impact weighted accounting. There are 56 other companies the work at Harvard has identified. By the way, John, everyone listening to this podcast uh, can go to the Harvard Business School site and look for impact weighted accounts. And you will have a series of documents and also the data set of 1800 companies that you can analyze every which way you want. Um, if you look at the, one of the reports, uh, I think the, the first report, you will see that 56 companies across the world are already using some type of weighting of their profit according to impact. But if we rely on consumers pushing for it, and investors pushing for it, it will take us much longer um, to get there than if governments come out uh, and say that this is a human right, transparency, uh, the right to know, freedom of information is a human right in our age. Uh, investors want more than profit. Uh, they want transparency on impact as well. And for those who argue, oh, but you're heaping another obligation on companies at the time when they have to create jobs, the cost of publishing impact-weighted accounts is a minute fraction uh, of 1% of, of the cost of the environmental and social damage that lack of measurement of impact is causing in the world across every country. I mean, I think there's, you know, something that people might be able to sort of grasp onto that they've heard about is ESG. And you've mentioned this uh, sort of as we've spoken. And it feels like this concept is kind of leapfrogging ESG. Um, I think, you know, ESG is sort of uh, the way that an investor looks at a company and can tend to just be the operations of the company and not as much the product or the impact it has. And that that sort of more holistic view of the impact of the company is where you're headed with this. How do you see ESG and impact-weighted accounts uh, work together? You see, I, I think ESG has the intention. Impact investment has the intention and the measurement of impact. You can't manage what you can't measure. And, and the big investors in ESG are clamoring for transparency. 
but they have no way of achieving it today. So our goal, very simply put, is to bring impact measurement as a tool to the ESG investors. Now, ESG investment in the first half of this year, I have read, was $20 trillion. And the second half of the year is, you know, is, uh, is the same. It will be $40 trillion this year, up from 30 last year. So this is not a flash in the pan. This is beyond tipping point, uh, John. And governments have to appreciate this. And if we have a popular campaign now, uh, clamoring for transparency over impact, uh, then we will help governments face uh, the, the pushback uh, from a lot of companies uh, and, and, and introduce us. And now, do you have any, any advice, any actions that my listeners could take to help in driving this forward? I like to think that my listeners are quite sophisticated and that they, these are the, some of the de- decision makers within the world of finance around the world. So what would you say to these individuals of what they can do sort of right now? Well, I would say to those who are investors, you have the most powerful lever in making this happen. Consumers can put pressure on companies by switching products. But when investors switch from one company to another, it leads to a reduction in the value of the company they have deserted. So demand transparency from the companies in which you invest and invest in those companies that deliver impact as well as profit. That's the future for your portfolio returns. Like technology, hiding your head in the sand and saying, I'll I'll look at this when it really becomes important means you'll be left behind. There are already correlations. There's a Harvard Business Review article which will be published at the beginning of September. There are already correlations between declines in value and environmental damage caused. They already exist in certain sectors, and they're going to come to the other sectors as transparency comes. So I'd say to the investors, demand transparency. You will have the loudest voice in, uh, in, (laughs) in government's ear. I would say to consumers and to talent, the information is becoming available now about the impact that companies create. If you're going into the supermarket, there are already apps that enable you to understand uh, what the environmental damage caused by certain companies uh, uh, is. Um, keep watching out for this information uh, and, and keep asking uh, at the supermarket and elsewhere uh, for products to have a label uh, that uh, reflects uh, their rating in terms of environmental and social uh, impact. I think for governments, anybody who is from government in this school, you need this. Like 1933, 
This is the time to step up to the plate and say we have an opportunity to change our system so we can create a fairer and more sustainable world. And for those investors that are demanding more transparency from companies and the same from their customers and even and even governments is there a model is there a clear kind of plug-in system is this in play is this being built these structures these frameworks so you have on bloomberg terminals um, disparate information about environmental impact and uh, and sometimes references to social impact the harvard business school effort will add to environmental impact next year, employment impact and product impact. So in the course of next year, we will have a framework for the accounting houses to pick up and to begin uh, to implement um, for companies that want to do this. The accounting houses are very keen on this area. They're a bit conflicted in pushing for it because some of their biggest uh, auditing clients and, uh, and, and others are companies that are really not very keen um, uh, to see this uh, transparency happen. But uh, the accounting firms are, are basically allies in implementing this. Look, that's great. There's, uh, there's a lot of theory there, but also some really practical actions and exciting to hear that, that there's a lot uh, happening right now and that we can we can expect you know to see some really tangible systems becoming available and we're in a really unique time now we're under the cloud of COVID-19 and and the world I don't think will ever be the same again things are changing how do you feel this all fits in it's it's as if this is you know this is a model for a new world and, and we're in a unique opportunity when we're looking to rebuild how do, how do you think this fits in with this particular moment? I think COVID, like the 1929 crash, the COVID-19 crash, will accelerate change. It's shaking uh, long-established values, habits, and beliefs. And it opens the door to fresh thinking, and you're seeing a lot of questioning of capitalism and democracy and everything else um, today. So it creates uh, the opportunity for change. Now, we do need a new New Deal. And the new New Deal has to be a fairer and more sustainable society. That's what our age demands. And there is no way to achieve it under our existing capitalist system where profit is the only driver of our economic activity. We have to bring impact alongside profit. That is the new New Deal. You can measure the diversity of companies. You can cost the lack of diversity of companies. If you provide transparency on it, you will allow investors to pick the companies that are more diverse. It will push those that are less diverse to become more so. So we can really drive our economies in the direction of improving things instead of creating problems in the pursuit of profit. Oh, that's great, Ronald. Really appreciate that. I mean, I think there's so much for my audience to mull over there and, and lots of homework for them to do. I did jump onto the Harvard Business School's website and read through a lot of the literature there, and it is great. You've got um, the likes of George Seraphim and Rebecca Henderson um, writing about it at length. So 
I hope everybody gets a chance to to check it all out. And before I let you go, while I talk about reading, I'd love to get a book recommendation off you. This is always how I end the podcast. And I'd love to, you know, any book that you think people would be interested in, even if it's just what's on your bedside table, fiction, nonfiction, whatever you like. Well, the book I'm reading at the moment is Michael Porter's book about uh, the political system and looking at how uh, democracy is, uh, is uh, functioning. Uh, I would highly recommend it. What's the title of that one? I'm sorry, I must have left it in, in the other room, but it's something like the structure of politics, something to that effect. Very good. Oh, no, look, that's all right. I can look it up and um, I'll drop it in the show notes for people to find a link to it. Yeah. And Ronnie, before we started the recording, you started to tell me about the GSG Summit. It sounds really interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear more. Can you tell us about it? So, John, the Global Impact Summit run by the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment, which I chair, will be holding its virtual summit uh, from the 9th to the 11th of September. There's a huge number of speakers. It will be attended by more than a thousand people. Major um, international leaders uh, will be speaking at it, as well as impact investors, entrepreneurs, and, and others. Uh, that are less uh, famous, but uh, no less uh, significant for the movement. And I would encourage you all to attend. You can find it under GSG uh, Summit. Very good. I'll check it out and I'll, uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. So thank you, Ronnie. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I've been wanting to speak to you for a long time. You know, your book really did sum up everything that my podcast and all of my research is all about. It really did feel like a... Um, a flag in the sand of talking about the history and the evolution of impact and now the optimism for going forward uh, and the frameworks that you guys are building. So yeah, everybody should, uh, should check that one out as well. Impact reshaping capitalism to drive real change. Thank you very much, John. And all the royalties are going to impact um, charities. So please do spread the word about, about impact and about the book. Great to hear. Well done, Ronnie. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye.